all religions the same. And in your uh, Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Acts chapter 4. The book of Acts here tells a story. Actually, in Acts 3, it tells a story of a, a man, a beggar, who would uh, be carried by his, uh, by his friends to the gate of the temple. And he would be carried because he was lame. He was lame from birth. And so every day, his friends would gather him up on a, on a cot or on a stretcher, and they would walk him over to the gate of the temple. Why the gate of the temple? Because that's where all the worshipers would come. And so it would be like you coming to worship here today, and just outside the door, there's a beggar saying, please uh, give me money, give me money. And the man would be lame from birth with a real need, an obvious need. And so uh, he would beg for alms from worshipers. Peter, in Acts 3, came across him and said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And the man, as you probably know, stood up. His legs, his feet, his ankles, everything was strengthened for the first time in his life. All that atrophy of his muscles had gone away. And he could stand and he could walk. And he made such a commotion, praising God for the miracle that had been done in his life, that a big crowd gathered. Everyone knew who he was. Everyone had seen him every day in front of the temple. And they noticed that he had to be the same man that previously was begging for alms. A man who everyone knew had been lame from birth. Well, Peter didn't want to miss the opportunity. And so he saw this large crowd there, and he captured the attention of the crowd to tell them that it was by the name of Jesus that the man was healed. And so uh, Peter explains to them in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, a great verse, by the way, to memorize, uh, that you can share with uh, people who need to hear it. Peter said, "Repent, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And so he preached this powerful message, but what happened next was perhaps as impressive and as powerful as what happened at that moment that the man was healed and the gospel was preached. Because in the middle of Peter's and John's speech to the crowd, they were arrested. And they were kept in jail overnight. Now, back in the first century, uh, jails were not a place to punish people. Jails were simply a place to hold someone until the trial. And unlike our day today, they would have a trial right away. But it was late in the day. They didn't have time to gather the council of the Sanhedrin. And so uh, they had to be placed in jail, Peter and John, placed in jail overnight. And the trial would be the next morning. Now... The only time that I've ever been to jail is to visit a church member there. And a uh, true story. And unfortunately, this church member had, had murdered someone else. And uh, I don't like going to jails. I didn't even like going to that situation because I have this fear that perhaps they might think I'm on the wrong side and want to lock me in with the others. Um, but I've heard by people who have been to jail that there's one thing that every single prisoner has, one possession that
that every one of them has. It's not a Bible. Some of them have a Bible. It's not a pen. It's not stationary. It's not soap or shampoo. There's one possession that every prisoner has, and it's time. They have time. They have time to think about why they're there. Peter and John had time that night. They had time to think about what got us here in trouble. Because up to that point, they had not been in that kind of trouble. They had time to think about what they would say at the trial the next day. And so when the trial commenced the next day, you have to understand that Peter and John didn't simply make some kind of off-the-cuff remark. This was thought out. They knew what they were going to say. And if you, perhaps, were someday going to be arrested and put into jail overnight, by that next morning, I bet your attitude might change before the judge, but theirs didn't. Theirs didn't. And so what they said was an overflow of a deeply rooted belief in their hearts. And so in Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 12, here's what we read. On the next day, their, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had been... When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. What a powerful statement to end that, uh, that brief remark with. That Jesus is the only one, the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. Is that true? Is it true that all religions point to God or is Jesus unique? Is the Christian faith an exclusive faith? You know, people say today that all religions are the same. You hear them say, well, there's many paths to God. It's sort of the Oprah Winfrey theology of whatever you want to do, as long as you're sincere. It doesn't matter what you believe, people say. You, will, you are on the right path. You're on a spiritual journey that will lead you to where you want to go, people say. God reveals himself in many ways to many people, people say. And so whether you're a Hindu or a Muslim or a Jew or a Christian, people say, oh, it doesn't really matter. Is that really true? Or is Jesus the only name under heaven by which a man must be saved? You know, the stakes are pretty important on this question. We better get this right. Because if all religions are the same, hey, it doesn't matter what you believe. You'll get to heaven anyway, right? 
and if all religions are the same, there's no need to tell other people about Jesus. I mean, what's the point? If what they're thinking, if what they're doing, if that culture, if that tribe, uh, if, if they're going to reach the same place as we are, then what's the point of all this missionary endeavors? Just help them believe whatever their culture or their tribe or their feeling dictates. And today we have many people who uh, think of spirituality as a big buffet. I'm going to choose a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I like this religion, I like this thought, and I like this philosophy over here. And they sort of build their own buffet. They have their own spiritual buffet. And they make God in their own image instead of the other way around. But if there's only one way to God, it matters very much what you believe. Because you might miss heaven. If you get this wrong. And not only that, if there's only one way to God, and every other way is the way to hell and damnation, then we as believers must be compelled in our hearts to tell others about Jesus. Their culture could be wrong. Their tribe could be wrong. Their feelings could be wrong. And the price is too great for us to simply keep our mouths shut and hope that they might make it somehow. I had a lady about 10, 12 years ago who came to my heart, a good church-going lady, a strong faith, and she came to my office and she, her heart was broken. I said, what's wrong? She said, last week went to a funeral and it was a, a family member that we've known for many decades. And I just don't know whether he was saved or lost. We just never brought it up. And now I'm haunted by the fact that I had many opportunities to say something, to ask him if he knew the Lord Jesus Christ. But I didn't do it. I didn't want to offend. And so I had to counsel her and help her through that situation. You know, if there's only one way to God, it makes a difference. I want you to consider this fact that the idea of all religions being the same, that's an impossibility. It's just logically impossible. I mean, it should be obvious that all religions are not the same because there's major points of disagreement between them. And we're going to see some of these disagreements in a minute. The nature of truth itself is another obvious indication that all religions are not equal. Why? What do I mean by that? Truth by its very nature is exclusive. You know, there's only one answer to this question. What's two plus two? There's only one answer to that. You know, the answer is four. Five's wrong, three's wrong, one's wrong, six is wrong. Every other number that you can imagine and those that you can't is wrong. There's only one answer to that question. People would uh, look at that question today and say, well, that question's bigoted. How dare it claim exclusivity? How dare it say that it's the only truth out there? That's what they say of us. But the reality is truth by its very nature is exclusive. Likewise, God will not reveal himself in contradictory ways. If God revealed himself in one way to one group of people in a completely opposite way to another group of people, he would not be God. He would not even exist. The reality is that there's only one truth about who God is. There's one way that God has revealed himself. 
in every other way by the nature of truth must be wrong. You and I have the ability to tell others about ourselves, don't we? I mean, you could call up a complete stranger and they say, tell me about yourself. And you could say, well, I'm, I'm so tall, and if you care to, you'd say I'm so old, and if you care to, you'd say I weigh so much. And uh, you, you might even say, this is my job, and, and th- these are my hobbies. You can tell people about yourself. Don't you have that ability? Absolutely. Why do we think that God would not have that ability? Why do people today think that God would not have the ability to tell others about himself? You know, that's what he did. He did tell others about himself in his word and through the person of Jesus Christ, and we'll see that in just a minute. You see, I want to share with you four reasons why Jesus is the only way to God. Reason number one, Jesus Christ is the only spiritual leader who claimed to bring God to us. Did you know that? That in all the history of mankind, Jesus Christ is the only major spiritual leader who claimed to bring God to us. Every other religion claims to bring man to God. But Jesus claimed to bring God to man. You see, the Hindus say that you can reach nirvana through works of obedience called karma during many lifetimes of reincarnations. If you have good karma in this lifetime, you'll be reincarnated into a higher caste and into a higher caste. And eventually, with enough good karma, you'll eventually make it to nirvana, their idea of heaven. That's what the Hindus believe. It takes many works of obedience to gain that, to earn that. The Buddha says that you can become enlightened through works of obedience to the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths. Muhammad says that you can get to heaven through works of obedience to the Five Pillars of Islam. Many Jews today say that you can get to heaven through works of obedience to the Ten Commandments. But Jesus did not claim to bring man to God. Instead, he claimed to bring God to man. John chapter 1, verse 1, and also verse 14. We read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God. That word that we translate word refers to Jesus Christ. He is the living word, the living revelation of God. And he was with God in the beginning and he was God. In verse 14 it tells us the word became flesh. God became man. God came to man. Not man coming to God, but God came to man. In John chapter 8, Jesus is having a a discussion, rather lively discussion, with some of the religious leaders. And Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? I mean, hey, he lived two millennia ago. He lived 2000 B.C., we would say. Jesus, you're not even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. When Jesus said, I am, he wasn't just saying that I'm eternal. He was saying that I am Yahweh. I am the eternal 
Lord. I am God in the flesh. God came to man. In John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, it's the last night before Jesus is uh, arrested and then crucified. And he's meeting with his disciples, and things are, have a very serious tone. And Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. God came to man in Jesus. You see, it's impossible for man to come to God. I mean, if man was able to come to God, then maybe the Tower of Babel could have reached God. But it fell short. If man came to God, then maybe the karma of the Hindus could convince God that, he, that they deserve him. If man was able to come to God, then maybe the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths of Buddha could somehow find God. If man was able to come to God, then maybe the Five Pillars of Muhammad could appease God. And if man was able to come to God, then maybe obedience to the Ten Commandments could earn the favor of God. But it can't. Man cannot come to God. Our efforts fall short. In Romans 3.23, we read, For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Why is that? Because religious works of obedience cannot save you. It cannot save the Hindu Religious works of obedience cannot save the Muslim, it cannot save the Buddhist, it cannot save the Jew, and religious works of obedience cannot save those who claim to be Christians. It takes grace. Grace is how we are saved. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. You understand that? By the works of the law of God, by working to obey the Ten Commandments, the, the commandments that God himself gave, no flesh can be justified. No one can be saved by works of obedience. We fall short. Our hearts are dirty. For man to be saved, God has to come to us. We can't make it to God. And that is what Jesus did. Jesus Christ, secondly, is the only spiritual leader who solved the problem of our wickedness. This is something else that sets Jesus apart. He's the only one who deals with sin. Our sin. He's the only one who effectively solved this problem. Every other religious leader failed to address the problem of sin. The Hindus say that if you have bad karma, you do bad things, well, it will cause you to be reincarnated down the spiritual ladder instead of up. The Buddha says that there's no such thing as sin, just a lack of enlightenment. Muhammad says that on the day of judgment, Allah will weigh your good deeds versus your bad deeds, and if you're found lacking, you go to hell. And if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you go to heaven. But it's really somewhat arbitrary. There's no way to know. 
if you're a Muslim, whether you're better than you are worse. Many Jews say that repentance is the means by which your sins are atoned for. And we would agree. But without Christ, they lack a once-for-all sacrifice that pays the penalty of that sin. They're just hoping and wishing for the mercy of God. You see, in contrast to all of those religions, Jesus himself dealt with sin once for all. He became himself the atoning sacrifice for our sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read, He, that's God, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus, who knew no sin, actually became sin on the cross. And it was crucified. The penalty was paid. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, we read about Jesus. He himself is the propitiation. That means the atoning sacrifice that satisfies the eternal wrath of God against sin. Jesus himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Let me tell you, if you come across someone who is a spiritual person, a religious person, who does not believe in Christ, you need to ask them this question. On what basis do you think that God finds favor in you? On what basis does God find favor in you? They'll either point to their own spirituality. They'll point to their own good works. Hey, I'm a good guy. I strive and I intend and I hope and I try to do the right thing. Or else they'll just hope that somehow God arbitrarily judges them to be good enough. But for those of us who are followers of Christ, we have confidence in receiving God's favor. Not due to our own righteousness, but because we have faith in the one who is righteous on our behalf. We have faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Jesus Christ is apart from all the other religious leaders of the world and the spiritual thinkers and uh, leaders of humanity in that he dealt once for all with the problem of sin. Third reason that Jesus is set apart, he's the only spiritual leader who defeated our final enemy, death. You know, think about it, every other religious leader is dead. Now with Hinduism, no single man invented Hinduism, but all dead Hindus are just that, they're dead. Gautama Buddha was born in 563 B.C., he died in 483 B.C. He's still dead. Muhammad was born in A.D. 570 and died on June 8, 632 A.D. He's also still dead. Abraham, the father of Judaism, who we consider our own spiritual father, lived and died around 4,000 years ago. But as a man who believed in the promise that God made to him in Genesis 12, a promise that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, his body is dead, but he lives spiritually in the presence of God. Jesus Christ is unique in the fact that he defeated death. 
Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. Jesus said, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. When Jesus died on the cross, John's gospel tells us that he bowed his head first, and then he gave up his spirit. He willingly died on that cross. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared to his disciples many times. And at one time, he appeared to over 500 people. When Jesus, uh, uh, when the disciples rather began to preach that Jesus was risen from the grave, all the religious leaders, all the spiritual leaders, all the political leaders needed to do was go find the body. They know where he was buried. All they had to do to prove him wrong, to prove that he didn't defeat death, was go find the body. But they couldn't do it because his body was not in the tomb. The tomb could not hold him. The stone rolled in front of it could not trap him. The soldiers placed in front of it could not stop him. He defeated death and Jesus Christ is alive. There is no force in heaven or earth that can defeat Jesus Christ. He defeated the final enemy. The enemy that you and I, each of us, will face one day is the enemy of death. And yet here's the incredible news. His followers, you and I, likewise will have victory over death. You know, death is that final enemy. It is no respecter of persons. Death is a curse upon the rich. Death is a curse upon the poor. It is a curse upon the powerful, upon the impotent. Google has a new director of engineering by the name of Ray Kurzweil. And he has a goal in mind. Immortality. That is his goal, to provide immortality to humanity. He wrote a book recently, and he said, By the late 2020s, we will be able to eat as much junk food as we want because we'll all have nanobots injected into our bodies that will provide us with all the proper nutrients we need. I'm looking to be a test subject here. You know, where do I sign up? Uh, these nanobots, he said will also eliminate all of the excess fat that we'll gain from eating, these are his words, 20 bags of Doritos every day. I think our friends in Colorado who have the munchies will be happy to hear that. He said by the 2030s, humans will be immortal. He says that we will be pseudo-cyborgs who will live through the web, through the internet, and we'll have our brains connected to the cloud. Kurzweil himself, he's taking this very seriously. He's 64 years old. He wants to make it to these years. And so to ensure he's still around by that time, he takes 250 vitamin tablets a day and receives six intravenous therapies each week. My guess is that he'll probably die of some type of liver poisoning or kidney trouble. But anyway, Kurzweil needs to realize that even if perfect health was attainable and even if we could somehow stop the process of aging you know there are many other ways to die jesus said do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul 
but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I understand Kurzweil's thinking. I understand his fear, his fear of death. However, there is a way to achieve immortality. And it's through Jesus Christ. The only way for you and me to have victory over death is through Jesus, is to receive Jesus into our life. In 1 Corinthians 15, 22, we read, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Read 1 Corinthians 15 sometime. It talks about your resurrection and my resurrection. It's based on the resurrection of Christ. That's something Jesus did that no other religious leader could even come close to thinking about. Yet, uh, much less achieving. There's a fourth reason why Jesus is to be set apart from any other religious leader. It's this. He's the only spiritual leader who offers to live inside us. He offers to live inside you. If you've received him, he does live inside you. With every man-made religion, there's always a separation between its leader and those that follow. There has to be. There's no way for Muhammad to live in someone. There's no way for the Buddha as big as and fat as he is to live in someone. There's no way for the, the, all the 330 million gods of the Hindus to live inside somebody. But Jesus, he says that he'll live in you. He lives in his followers. In John 14, Jesus told again his, his disciples who were with him for that last evening. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus is in you. In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Do you understand the incredible distinction between Jesus and every other spiritual leader that has ever lived? It's unmistakable that there's something unique. There's something distinct. There's something from God when we think about Jesus. But every other religion, as different as they all might be to each other, they're all the same. How are you saved? By works of obedience. By doing good things. And maybe you might possibly make it to heaven, they say. Jesus offers something else. He offers us a message where he says, there's no way for you to make it on your own. That's why I came. I came to live in you. I came to forgive you. I came to bring God 
to you. He's the only way to God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's not enough to believe in God. It's not enough to say that God exists. You must have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will fall short if you believe in any other system, in any other man-made religious works or system. You'll fall short, absolutely short. The only way to get to the Father is through Jesus Christ who came to us. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, very powerful words, especially for our day. A day in which people think that you're intolerant and you're bigoted if you insist that Jesus is the only way. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You know what people say today when they do something wrong? God is my judge. They don't want to be told they're wrong. They don't want anyone looking down upon them. And so they sort of spout off, God is my judge. Jesus said, the Father doesn't judge anyone. I do. The Father's given all judgment to the Son, so we better honor the Son. We better trust and believe in the Son. And that's why... Peter said in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 for there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved Jesus is absolutely the only way Today, I believe that perhaps every one of us in this room has already placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you haven't today, that's exactly what you need to do. And if you have already placed your faith in Christ, as I have, then let there be no doubt in our hearts that Jesus is the only way. Every other way is a lie. Every other way is a falsehood. Every other way will not lead you to God. It's only through Jesus Christ. That's the message that we must tell our friends and family members. That's the message that we must have in the midst of in the depths of our heart as we pray for those who need the Lord Jesus Christ. We must understand that he's the only way to God.